to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Today, we are talking with Minna Taylor, who is the founder of Energize Your Voice, and we are talking about communicating with conviction in a crisis. I really was down with the alliteration. I love that. I I was acknowledging it every time I read the title. I was like, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Minna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of you for being with us this morning. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is Energize Your Voice? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You and I connected in a really fun, organic way. And I think we just immediately gelled in terms of value. So I'm really excited to be able to share some information with your community. I think this is a, a, a really important topic in a really uncertain time. Energize Your Voice is a communication coaching and training company based in New York City. We work all over the world, and especially now, that's become more accessible than ever. And we specifically focus on presentation skills, public speaking, and storytelling as the takeaway tools. What's at the foundation of that is uh, a master's degree in acting. (laughs) Uh, I went to Tisch for a degree in acting, and I was an actor for years, and then at the same time, working in a corporate arena, coaching presentation skills, accent reduction, and then ultimately took all of my acting training and put it into how I pursue professional development for my clients. So it's really about, even though we're talking about presentation skills, public speaking, and storytelling, what we're really talking about here is the need to speak, speaking your truth, pursuing objective, and doing it with a sense of deep authenticity. So one of the things that really struck me when we first started talking is you were talking about vocal presence. And I was like, what is that? I need to know more. So tell me, what is vocal presence and how can we get more of it? Do you want the the scientific answer? Or do you, do you, do you want it? I'll, I'll give you a little anatomy just so people can understand. Because I think when we hear hear about the voice, we might not know exactly what that means. Yeah, let, let's geek out. Let's get weird. All right, let's get weird. So there's this thing here called the larynx, (laughs) all right? You don't need to know anything about it except this is what would be considered the voice box. And this whole area here, we consider the throat in voice work, we call it the channel. And I think when we consider it as the channel, uh, that's, that's a much easier access point visually to understand how to then open it up and close it down. So when we're talking about vocal presence, what needs to be incorporated into that is the idea of an open channel. Voice is what we hear. Vibration is what we create. So when we have a present voice, really that means we need to have a a deep uh, connection to the vibration, which is just a tangible um, way in which our ideas are expressed. So the the idea passes through our larynx, our, our voice box, and it passes through our vocal folds, which are doing this when air comes through. And then it comes through and that's what gives it vibration. So that's what gives it wavelength. And so if my throat here is tight, so if I'm in a, in a conversation and I'm asking something that's challenging and I might be tensing up, well, my voice is going to reflect that. So creating practices around keeping the channel nice and open so that when air passes through my larynx and my my vocal folds are doing this and giving it vibration, I have availability to that and I'm not doing anything to compromise it. So when we're talking about vocal presence, it's really about ease of body, connection to breath, and full expression of your inner thought and allowing the vibration to be fully free so we're not restricting it. Okay, so before we got on the call, you and I were talking about a new idea that I had not heard of, but you obviously knew about because you this is your job, your work. Um, but that when we speak about things, when we make a presentation, a very small percentage is the content, a larger percentage is the voice, and the biggest percentage is body language. So talk to me about this because I think as leaders, we might think that like, oh, if I craft this like speech and like say the perfect thing, it will change things, but it's all this other stuff. 
And I think all that crafting the perfect message gives us is a safety tool. It's a tool of perceived confidence. It allows us to maybe relinquish per, or at least assume that we can relinquish some level of control because we already know what we're going to say. And the scary part of public speaking or doing any sort of leadership engagement might be that I want to make sure it comes out right. So we have this perceived idea that crafting content ahead of time will be our best tool, when in fact that's not necessarily the case. What I'll say there is I always encourage my clients to be consistent, not scripted. So if you're really scripted, you've now attached yourself to this idea of content. So that when we're talking about the verbal, so you're asking now about verbal, nonverbal, and vocal, right? And the nonverbal, the body language, and the vocal are the majority of what we receive in terms of information around communication. And the, the verbal is not a huge component of it. But we spend so much time there because we think it's going to be safe, but we tend to overemphasize what that looks like and actually do ourselves a disturbance us because we haven't set ourselves up to be able to agilely move through a conversation because we've relegated ourselves to certain verbal execution. So if we can put less emphasis there, but when we're crafting the message, understand the want or the need or the thought. So if that's our focus when we're crafting a message rather than right word, right word, right word, but rather than why, how, hmm, who, who's receiving this? Why do they need to receive this? Then when I go to execute the message, that desire is there. And hopefully that will then be communicated through the voice. You can hear it in my voice, right? Words of emphasis and really chewing on certain words. So words of emphasis, it'll come through on the voice. The body is also going to be a natural extension of that thought if you're confident, connected to breath, and have done adequate preparation to make sure that you're feeling really fluid within the execution of your thoughts. The voice and the body will really bring everything to life if you allow it to do it. And the audience will receive all of that information. It will allow them to give greater emphasis, weight, and importance to what it is you're actually saying verbally. One of the challenges that we're all having is we're all on Zoom calls now or online calls. And so I think it's much harder to convey body language. Maybe voice is, is a good lever that we can pull, but can you talk to us a little bit about tips for how to be effective in an online way, especially if we're leading teams or we're talking to funders or we're talking to our board and really need to be a reassuring, confident leader, while at the same time conveying that you know we're concerned and we care and we understand the criticality of the situation and it's gonna be okay. Okay, so the two questions you have there are, how do you not only uh, engage with a sense of empathy and compassion around the experience, and how do you demonstrate to the person with whom you're speaking that it's a shared experience and you have, uh, you're taking that into consideration in terms of your ask or the engagement, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is just practically, how do you operate on Zoom <laughs> or over some video messaging platform to still convey a sense of credibility, confidence, and influence? Right. Um, and so yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly the question I had. <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure I'm so Um So let, let me start with uh, the Zoom question. So it's really important. We're, we're operating like this, right? And if I'm in person, so if I'm in person, maybe I'm accustomed to using my hands a little bit and this is how it goes. But you can see that this is my frame. And, I'm, and I still encourage people to maintain this frame but maybe stand up if you can, right? So that's one thing you can do. Then your whole body will be engaged and you won't feel stiff. It will really challenge you to be dynamic physically. But I really encourage people, so you can see I'm doing it with my hands. So my hands are present in the frame. It gives people a sense that there's a whole body behind here and it makes the message have a little bit more impact because you can see that I'm completely invested. What's also happening is my facial expressiveness is leveled up a little bit. So I really have to make sure, and this is the same thing for over the phone, when you're over the phone, and you all may have heard this before, and it's a tool that's been around forever. I did not make this up, uh, but I know it to be true anatomically. If you engage these muscles here when you're on the phone, it brightens your tone, right? So there are certain, but you have to actually like engage them. 
You know, so similarly, when we're on a Zoom call, we have to engage our muscles a little bit more because then the voice will have more presence. Our our physical, uh, our visual representation will look more dynamic and it will be more engaging. So it will convey a level of engagement on the part of the speaker and the perception of the speaker will have a deeper level of credibility because people will say, oh, they're here, they're invested with me. So that's going to be really important. The other thing is making sure that eye contact is still there. So I am seeing boxes here, right? Now, if people had their cameras on, I would still be able to shift my focus. If it's an all hands meeting, so let's say we're, we're speaking to the entire team, right? <laughs> if we're speaking to the entire team and maybe there's 30 people on the team, I can't look at everybody, but I can still shift points of focus and I can really land there which is going to allow people to feel like, oh, she's invested. She's seeing what's happening. So as a leader, when you're speaking to your, your team, when you're running in all hands, when you're giving an update, you have to be expressive, but make sure you're not distracting. So I'm not going toward the camera like this, right? <laughs> but I want to have my hands available to me. And I want to have ease of posture, grounding myself in my breath, making sure my face is expressive and making sure my voice is really present there. And most importantly, I'm articulating with a level of precision and intentionality. It's going to allow the thoughts to come out clear if there's some tech breakup on the other side. Uh, it's going to force me to slow down and it's going to ensure the clarity that, of my message. So making sure that you're really attentive to that. So that's the one thing I'll say. In terms of the empathy piece, so that moves a little bit into messaging, but we can also look at it is in terms of the energy or the intention that you're bringing to that. Because again, verbal is only 7%, right? So if I'm thinking about engaging, let's say with a funder, uh, and we're saying, here's our challenge right now. I know you're challenged right now, but we're also challenged. Give us money. We really need it, please. You know, and that might be in the back of our minds. <laughs> we're like, don't pull funding, you know, whatever it is. Um, uh, you can still engage in that conversation in a way that is respectful. I heard um, somebody use this phrase, and I thought it was, it was pretty spot on, which is, you are the reluctant hero. So it's this idea of, we're here. We can do this, right? It's a it's a call to action. It's inspirational. It should feel optimistic, right? It should it should have this sense of possibility, but also knowing that we need to take care and be sensitive and uh, coddle, right, or or protect what's happening right now. So without moving into the dire tactics, so you never want. We can acknowledge what's going on right now without sitting in the suffering of what's going on right now. And so it's a balance of acknowledging, but then painting the possibility. So that's really where you want to move toward when it comes to communications. You're not dismissing the reality, but you're not allowing the reality to overtake the present conversation because this conversation is happening with a future focused vision. So let's make sure that tactically that's where we're directing people toward. Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of my folks about that, and I, I call it truth and hope, which is you need to tell the truth about what's really happening and not sugarcoat it, but you also provide hope that it's not going to always be like this and that you have a plan for how to move forward. But you're also truthful about like, look, here's what we don't know. Here's what we do know. Here's how we're going to act based on what we do know for right now. I love that. Yeah. We, we talk about it as like what's in your control and what's out of your control. Mm -hmm. So what's out of your control are the facts of the situation. What's in your control is how you're responding to the facts of the situation. Mm -hmm. One thing I know that you do separately is you prepare what you call signature talks. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. And do you think that leaders need to have a signature of some sort that, um, that they use throughout their leadership? Absolutely. That absolutely was to the latter question, which is because here's why. So I, one of my clients, uh, I worked with her for a long time and she always, every time there was a new group coming in or a new and either student group or employee group, she would give the same presentation every single time. 
But that presentation was around values, that, that presentation was around what it's like to work in a rapid growth environment. And it had her point of view on it in terms of her personal journey through this, right? So it substantiated for the people hearing the message Oh, this is a this is a universal human experience, and this woman has also gone through this. And so, what she's telling me isn't theoretical; it's deeply personal. And she's used her own experience and expertise to paint the strategy for me to feel ultimately successful. And she gave that that talk over and over and over, year after year. And people got to know this talk. People would start to memorize this talk. People would engage her around this talk. This is so interesting. The pit of despair. Oh my gosh, yes, I've been there, right? And so it became this internal language, this, this shared vocabulary around what the experience was like to work at the organization. So absolutely, if you're a leader, you need to know, because here, here's what the signature talk is, and maybe we can sort of funnel it down from there. So the signature talk is an agile framework through which to create a keynote. When I say agile framework, we have a keynote, which is an hour long. But the way that we help you produce that keynote is through a series of buckets, corresponding stories, and a pool of data. And you can sort of plug and play how you're leveraging those stories. And you can also remove buckets and align the talk so it becomes more efficient. So you always have a way to stay on message to keep it consistent in terms of how you're talking about what it is that you are driving people toward investing in, whether that's an idea, an initiative, or your organization, right? If you're talking about funding. So it's this agile framework. So Taking my former client, taking an example from her, she gave, it was an hour-long talk, it was a keynote, right? But then every time she engaged with somebody, she was able to extract a story and reinforce that narrative. She was able to pull some data and give people some support around a question that they might have. And so it gives you this pool of knowledge, this library of content. That's what creating your signature talk really is. So it's an agile framework and a library of content that allows you to be consistent, to allow your people to know what the message is, and to allow you to engage in that messaging in a way that just feels immediate. I mean, it's so funny. As you're talking, I literally have like a Mr. Potato Head in my mind of like, this is my Mr. Potato Head talk. Like, take this hat. Take the, these eyeballs and put them on. It makes it so easy, honestly. It's I think <laughs> I think that's a really great analogy. It's like, oh, actually, let me move this here. That's mm-hmm. how it should be. I think when we create, and again, going back to the idea that people put so much emphasis on content, when when I initiate working with clients around creating a signature talk, they're so in the minutia. They're in the minuscule idea of like, well, what's this? How do I express this thought? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's the idea here? What is the idea you're working toward? We don't even have that yet. Then then you might not even need to figure out how to talk about it because it'll feel so organic. So when you say, what is the idea? Do you also think about what is the emotion that you want to leave your audience with? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say beyond, because you can't control that. So if we're thinking about what's in your control and what's out of your control, you can't control ultimately how people are going to engage in what your message is, right? Um, people may respond to things that is define a specific tone. And that's something where when we're talking about brand narrative, that's something that really needs to be present there, right? So for us, we will never have a hyper-serious tone at Energize Your Voice, right? We We want people to leave feeling inspired. So what you're doing there, the the outcome, so the emotional response, the experience on the part of the audience, again, out of your control, but that will be achieved by understanding what you want to get from your audience. So I want to get them to rise to their feet and run out the door and go help the homeless, right? I want people to line up in a tidy line and write me a check. I want people to turn to their neighbor and give a demonstration of gratitude. 
whatever it is. So if you can determine for yourself, like what is the action outcome? What is my objective? And what do I want to see affected in my audience? Then that emotional response that's elicited from the audience may not be exactly what you thought it would be, but it will be aligned to what should be. So it's rather than thinking about the emotional response, it's what are you doing in your talk that would potentially elicit that response? That's sort of a fun question. I don't know if you can answer it, but I'm wondering if as you're looking at the leaders that we have out there responding to this crisis, you know, the president and Governor Cuomo is just two examples I'm going to come on the top of my head. What um, advice would you have for them based on your work? with respect to how they're communicating in a crisis. I don't want to get terribly political here. I'm like not very, I'm, I'm not unbiased when it comes to President Trump. So I'll just put, I'll, I'll put that out there. So in terms of my feedback for him from a presentation perspective, uh, it's a multi-layered. Um, <laughs> We've got some notes here. I have some notes. Um, but here, here's the difference, what I'll say, beyond sort of the way my heart responds to that question. Um, here's what I'll say in relationship to comparing. And I think Cuomo and Trump are great foils to one another, right? Uh, so Cuomo, deep, authentic vocal connection. His posture is one that looks at ease, but not disengaged. So he's really present with us. He is demonstrating, again, from a physical presence perspective, which is that's the information we're receiving, credibility. He's, he's making me feel reassured because he doesn't look urgent or boasting or overcompensating. So his physical posture is giving me the impression that he's got it together, that I can trust him, right? Now, if we look at Trump, He looks stiff. His posture is overcompensating. He always looks prepared to defend himself. Therefore, my trust in what he has to say is diminished because I get the impression that he is hiding something from me. So I think those are really great examples. And even vocally, Cuomo is playful, but he's sincere. And then you have Trump who is demanding and assertive. So they're very different, right? Even without talking about them as people and what my opinion is of them as people, that's the information that I'm receiving. That's the data that I'm processing based on their presentation. That's very interesting because you didn't even talk about content. You were talking about their, how we visually see them and hear them. Talk about the role of playfulness in communication, because I often think, especially uh, in times of crisis or, or tough times that we revert to like, I have to be like authoritative and strong. But it's interesting that you struck, that you said that Cuomo comes across as like playful, but sincere. Yeah. So let's first talk about the word play. I think when people hear play, they think frivolous, they think unserious, they think flippant, potentially. But here's what play is. Play is responsive. Play is yes and. Play is deep listening. Play is surprise. Play is imagination. Play is teamwork. So it's this idea of really opening up when we, let's let's break it down in its most simplistic form. Hey, we're on the playground together. Do you want to do this thing? Yeah, that thing sounds awesome. Cool, let's do it together. Boom, 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 boom. We're doing it. Let's do something else. Okay, yay, that sounds fun, right? And so it's this idea of just yes anding. So we're in a really serious situation. I know we're in a serious situation. How about we try this thing? Oh yeah, actually that's a great idea. That's play. So leaving yourself open to this idea of um, work, working things out, brainstorming, feeling inspired. So mental agility is a huge piece and outcome of play. So how can I be thinking, yes, and, yes, and, yes, and, but then know what my non-negotiables are. And in a playful way, again, it's not unserious, but it's deeply compassionate, right? And prepared to be responsive in a way that feels empathetic and emotionally intelligent, which is, this is what my boundary is. This is, I want to play this role now. And someone says, okay, great, let's do it. Uh, but because you've established this playful environment, which is one of openness and availability, uh, while still holding yourself as status, right, as a leader, 
um, you can still incorporate all of those things. So it's, it's really this idea of we can take things really seriously, but we don't have to, or, or we can care about them a lot, let's say it like that, but we don't have to take them so seriously. I usually say care deeply, but don't give a fuck, but I don't know if I can say fuck here. You can say that. We're all grown okay. here. Um, <laughs> all right, I do have one last question. We've talked a lot about speaking. I, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what it takes to be in a conversation and to receive, because I often think that leaders, especially, I'm just gonna out myself here, founders are really, great at speaking, but not so great at listening. And I know that we all say like active listening is really important, but like, what does it actually mean to listen well and to respond in a way that uh, creates possibility? So when, that's an awesome question. And I think there's one on a practical level, what you can do. And I just created a tutorial around this actually, but on a super practical level, as the leader, you can establish best practices for virtual participation. And so when we're talking about active listening on the part of the participants, this is going to be a coaching moment, but you need to establish this, right? Make sure you're giving visual acknowledgement that a message is being received. So that's a piece of it, right? On the part of the speaker or the leader, that will give you confidence that people are paying attention. It will also give them the expectation that you're looking to see that level of physical acknowledgement. So it will really challenge people to remain engaged and continue to participate, right? So that's one like simple external tool that you can use. Now, when we really talk about listening, I, where, and founders are definitely guilty of this, um, leaders or anybody that's high performing that might have a multitude of things going on in their mind, checklists, deadlines, um, running over a conversation, preparing for another conversation. So two things here, presence and surrendering anticipation. So when you're in a conversation, the only way you can be really listening is to not be thinking about something else and making eye contact and taking in. And so a simple tool, if you wanna practice this, is as someone's talking to you, say, repeat the words as they're coming in, right? So it's like you're literally present, it's a mindfulness practice. You're present and only present in processing the words that are coming out of the other person's mouth, as opposed to interrupting it with a, okay, good, I've gotten enough information, now I'm gonna formulate what I'm gonna say next. Mm -mm. No, then you're not listening. You're thinking ahead and you're living in anticipation. So shutting that off and really listening because the best answer will not be predetermined. The best answer will be a natural extension of the conversation that's taking place. Even if that's two sentences later, the more appropriate response will be attached to that last sentence rather than two sentences previous. You know, it's funny. I was reading a New York Times article about why people feel that their spouses don't listen to them. And it's because of this familiarity thing, which is like, I assume that I already know what you're going to say because we know each other so well. Therefore, absolutely stop listening. Assumption is the, is the most toxic aspect of communication. I think we exist in it so often and especially in partnerships, uh, but even on teams, right? We make these assumptions, we create these conscious or unconscious biases around people's behavior, around who they are, around what we can expect for them or from them. And it impacts the way in which we are able to pre be present in engaging with them without this level of context right? And opinion and point of view. And so deep listening will give you the opportunity to learn new information about somebody that may adjust the opinion that you've created about them. It will also allow the conversation to exist as it is, not in the way that you think it should be or in the way that you think it has gone before. And so you're assuming it will take a similar path. Well, but you know what they say about assuming it makes an ass out of you and me. I can literally talk all day because I'm a founder, as we've established. Founders, I love them. I'm sort of a founder too, but God, we can be annoying. No, I'm like, oh, I'm such a good teacher. Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> I know. It's actually been one of my greatest life struggles to STFU. What is, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. 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 I, well, 
I don't know who I was talking to. Oh, one of my one of my fellow facilitators. And I think this moves into leadership as well, right? So, and especially if we're talking from a nonprofit perspective, it's like, how do you care so deeply about what you're doing and have such an investment in the success of it and have such a point of view around it? Like this is a passion project. It's not a financially lucrative project, right? But hopefully that's what it comes out to, but the driver of it is a passion project. And so people, when you talk, I mean, this is a basic networking tip, right? It's like, try to drive the conversation towards something that you determine that person cares deeply about, and it will be a more memorable conversation, and you will give them the opportunity to share information with you, right? So when we're speaking about something that we really care about, that conversation will go on and on and someone can all of a sudden be like, oh shit, I was just talking for like 10 minutes and not even realize it, you know? And I, so I think founders can, can fall into that and especially leaders of nonprofits can fall into that. Uh, but then it's, it's sort of having that, that self-awareness to be like, all right, I, less is more here. And there, I think there comes a point in leadership and I'd be curious to know what your experience with this is, where at some point you want to stop talking because you share, you can trust that you've actually shared all your value. And now it's about getting people to reflect their learnings back onto you. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge for me there was that I had um, a young staff and, and a growing staff and that we had especially amongst uh, the younger staff, kind of a, a revolving door. And so I felt like I was always having to reiterate my values. And I realized that like, at, there was a point at which I was like, oh, I'm good. I've like explained to everybody this thing that we're doing. And as it turns out, like I apparently saying it once and writing it down was not enough, right? And so at the lesson learned there was like, it has to be constantly reiterated. Um, and as I reflect on my younger self, I think so much of the talking that I did was driven by a deep insecurity. Mm. So as I became more confident in my leadership, I became more confident to be like, I can just stop talking and I can ask people and I can admit that I don't know, right? And yes. I think that's like, that just comes with time, experience and um, wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit more wise than I was. Um, I, I have it. a question coming in from Karen, whose mic is not working. Uh, do you have any vocal training exercises for video conferences specifically to help people speak with more presence? Oh, Karen, I'm so glad you asked. I do. Uh, yeah, I will. Um, is there a way? Yes, I do. So it's a three-stage practice. It's really simple and it's on my YouTube. So you could go and check it out there if you really want to get into practice. You can also feel free to hit me up um, individually and I'll send you like a WhatsApp video <laughs> of me doing it. We'll, we'll post all that stuff. Uh, on the okay. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Um, yes, but it's a three-stage practice. So the first one is literally called a vocal shakeout. And so it's a extraction of, it's uh, of a larger, much larger voice practice that I teach, which is about an hour and a half long. So I'm not going to put you through that. This is just three simple exercises. So first you're just going to shake out the body. So this is really high level, right? I'm not going to go into deep. So you shake out the body. You're going to do that with the breath being present and the tongue on the lower lip. And then you're just going to add the voice to that. And I'm literally shaking out my voice. So we talked about the channel earlier. I, it's completely open. So we can think about it like that as opposed to like this. So it's completely open. And what you hear is just open vibration. So I'm not doing anything. Speaking should be as easy as breathing. But then the voice has to come out as, as effortlessly as the breath does. So if you're feeling like you're having like really push it, you're doing too much. So make it effortless, right? It's an effortless activation. Speaking should be as easy as breathing. So, and then you're going to do a lip buzz right here. So that gets all the articulators moving. It also marries breath to mouth in terms of being prepared to articulate. Just like that. And then we're going to do it. We're going to go all the way up and down vocally. So it looks like this. 
So when we're just doing it on breath, we want to hold it for a count of 10. That's going to help with breath control when you have those extended thoughts, give you some information around, am I holding or am I really allowing my breath to be present there? You will not be able to do a lip buzz if you're holding your breath. So you won't be able to hold it for 10 seconds and that's gonna be your gauge. When we're going up and down vocally, you can see I'm using my finger here. That's intentional. That's gonna allow me to measure. Oh, I keep stopping here. Oh, oh, neat, I made it over the arc, but now I run out of breath. So it's gonna allow you to gauge what your progress is. And then the very last thing you're gonna do is just move into like a super expansive posture. I think oftentimes we, even if we're big, we're just like, yay, right? But this is like, Wah! so we really wanna move into that full expansiveness. I can feel it in my rib cage. I'm gonna feel it in my hips. I'm gonna feel it all over my body so that I can think open as opposed to narrow. So then when I am speaking and I might have the impulse to narrow, I can actually move into a much more open, stable posture. So those are the three practices. It's so funny, as you're talking, Minna, I'm, I've been uh, practicing yoga for over 20 years and so much of it is like yogic, which is like expansiveness and breath and like... Yeah. A lot of what we do, so I'm an Ashtanga practitioner, mm -hmm. and so it, it, it marries, the voice practice that we do is similar to Ashtanga, so for people that don't know Ashtanga, I practice Mysore style, which is self-guided practice, but it's a consistent set sequence, so you do the same sequence every single day, and the idea is practice and all is coming, right? If you commit to the practice, things will be revealed through that, either a deeper connection to breath or a deeper presence of mind. And the voice practice is that we teach is the exact same thing. It's a set sequence that you practice every day. And through the physical practice, you understand what presence is and what vocal release, what that experience can, can allow for you. So it's, it's very yogic in terms of yeah. how, how we house all these things. Yeah, we have to talk about yoga at some later point. Ashtanga is really intense. I did it for a couple of years. I was like, I can't, this is too much for me. Um, a question is coming from Katie. Katie, do you want to ask it yourself or do you want me to ask? Uh, you can. Um, I can ask it. Oh, great. Yay. Um, yeah, so thank you both so much for this great content. Um, really appreciate it. So I, uh, I struggle a lot when I'm speaking. Uh, I get in my own head a lot and I'm thinking about what I'm saying and how I'm saying it as I'm saying it. And then it, um, as someone told me, they can hear my wheels turning. And instead mm. of what I'm saying, they're hearing my, what I'm thinking. And I just, do you have any um, suggestions for just getting out of your own head and just kind of like, you know, flowing with it better? Can you respond to, maybe you don't have this information, did they identify anything specific when they, when they mentioned the anecdote, they can hear or they can see your wheels turning? Did they give you any deeper insight into what they identified that gave them that impression? I think it's um, like what I'm doing now, right? So um, there's like a, a pause and lots of uh, 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 and filler words. Um, as well as just backtracking on what I'm saying sometimes, maybe not saying something clearly. Um, yeah. Okay, question that, to you. And also coming out, and also sounding flat sometimes when I am actually passionate about something, but sounding like I'm, I'm not because I'm just thinking so hard about what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I would say there are three things that I would encourage you to consider in this. So if you're in your head and you're incorporating a lot of those ums and ahs, I bet you, and I don't know if this is absolutely the case, but I would challenge you to reflect on this, that your focus, even if you're looking at somebody, tends to go up. And when we do this, um, uh, we've now lost connection with our audience. So that drive, that intention, we've lost the, the rope of connectivity. And so you lose that focus. So the ums and ahs come in because we now aren't grounding it or, or having the intention to land it on somebody. So I would assert that your eye contact is actually being lost there yeah. or, or your central point of external focus. So the more that you're focused on landing your thought, you can hear when I'm doing it, right? I'm landing mm -hmm. my thought. I don't even see you, right? Your camera's not on, but I'm, <laughs> land, I'm landing my thought and then I pause and I breathe and I start my next thought 
because I'm here, I'm connected to you. I'm not up in space, right? So making sure that I land my thought on you and I'm maintaining that level of focus or eye contact. When it comes to the flat tone, same thing, right? If I'm here, I'm going to be more committed to making sure that you are hearing the words. Not that I'm just saying the right words, but that you are hearing the words. That's the entire point of engaging in a dialogue rather than writing it in an email. So making sure that the words are imbued with some level of importance. And so for you, I would encourage you to try that vocal, the lip buzz moving up and down through the range, because then what we're doing there is we're creating physical habits, muscle memory around having access, immediate and intuitive and impulsive access to a dynamic range in those brighter tones. So when I'm talking, maybe I just kind of pop up there every now and then. Right, and I can use that strategically. So I can engage with a sense of authenticity and strategy at the same time when it comes to vocal execution and verbal execution because I've now put so much attention on actually playing the music of my thoughts by landing my attention outside so that the listener can hear it. So I'm not just in my head sort of formulating a, you know, a novel. I'm actually out here and trusting that the thoughts will happen. And, and it's going to be a little scary. It's going to challenge you to relinquish some control there. But the more that you can surrender to the potential disruption or flubbing of a word or not saying something exactly right, but actually trusting your, the person with whom you're speaking to ask those clarifying questions, then you're going to engage in a more authentic dialogue and you're going to be more present in the conversation. And I would, I would assert that the dynamics that you're seeking there and those filler words will correct themselves naturally. Thank you so much. That's very helpful. Awesome. You're so welcome, Katie. Thanks for Lots the question. Of- Lots of practice to do. <laughs> totally, totally. And feel free to reach out. I have videos, so I'll send them to you. Great. Thank you so much. You bet. It's so funny. As you're talking, I, mean, I, I often think about like in meetings that I've been in where people, and it's usually like a mansplaining moment where it's like utmost confidence has overridden the actual content. You're like the content, like the, like when I listen to what, that person actually said it wasn't that good, but it was conveyed with like such a tone of confidence and everyone's like, that's great. I'm like, what, what just happened here? If you, if you sign up for, if you go to our website and you, you click to sign up for our newsletter, um, the first thing you get emailed is just like a, you know, it's a welcome email, but then it has a video of a uh-huh. TED talk included in there. And it's the, fa- it's my favorite TED talk. And I remember when I saw this TED talk and I'd already been teaching these principles and then I saw the TED talk and I was like, amazing. But it's, I, I forget the exact name of it. But it's like speaking about nothing. And so the idea is like, how can I literally talk about nothing, but give you the impression that what I'm saying is really important. So for example, so um, this pen, when I think about this pen, now I haven't gone inside the pen, so I don't know how much ink is actually in here. But when we think about what this does, actually, you know what this reminds me of is my coffee. So the way that coffee and ink work together and, and follow me here, like this is really interesting. And a great philosopher once said, right? So we don't even say nothing. I'm, t- I'm literally talking about nothing. But the way that we imbue words with a sense of meaning simply through tone gives people the impression of importance. So, so good. Okay, uh, any other questions from the audience? You have about 15 yeah, minutes. Yep. Hey. Jump in. Miles. Miles. What's up, hey, Miles. What's up? Hey. Um, so I have a question. And I, uh, I was in uh, actually the intermediate public speaking class yesterday. And I realized this as an area of growth that I'm really interested in working on. Because I am like, I'm a super comfortable public speaker. Got no issues. Stand in front of a room of 10 to 5,000 really doesn't make a difference for me. But what I recognize is when I'm speaking, I'm perfectly fine. But like as soon as I sit down, like all of the nervousness that might accompany somebody who's nervous public speaking just like hits me in this giant wave of an anxiety attack almost. So like what uh, what can I, because like you can't really meditate before standing up and speaking, right? Like that's not. 
I love this question. This is a, actually a really great question because I think people might experience something similar, which is I feel really good. And then I sit down and all of a sudden I realize like my hand is shaking or that's when I start sweating or my heart is, is beating really rapidly and I didn't realize it or all of a sudden I feel lightheaded. And, but I was totally fine while I was up there. So what happened? Here's what happened. <laughs> you did a really good job, public speaking. You did a really good job. What I would suggest is you were doing just that, a good job. You weren't taking the risk to do a bad job. Here's what I mean by that. You were living in a space that felt controlled and safe. So you're doing what you know how to do, which is get up, connect with the audience, be loud, be entertaining, convey good content, have an acceptable structure. But you were living in the safe zone. And what I mean by that is physically, you were probably limiting your expressiveness. And that doesn't mean going crazy. That literally means releasing my hand fully or honoring physical impulse. You were probably limiting your breath a little bit. So even though you were breathing, you were probably holding in the belly or in the lower back. And then vocally, you might've been loud, but were you vibrant? So volume and vibration are two very different things. So if I'm fully releasing and expanding and amplifying my vibration to meet the room, my body has to be available to that and my breath has to be available to that. Whereas I can increase my volume but still be holding my breath. And so once I sit down, all of that adrenaline, which has come through, which is a natural thing to happen, when you give a public address, right? It's not fear, it's adrenaline. So let's reframe our thinking around that for anybody at home who's like, public speaking, no way, right? It's your body sending you signals. So like, really like do your best, right? It's, you're not gonna die, you're gonna do your best. Um, so when we have that adrenaline present there and we don't release it, that's energy, it's pent up energy. Then when we sit down, it's all gonna be moving because our body has now relaxed. So it's still there. We just haven't released it. So that's what you're experiencing. Uh, you're, you're not fully, you're not leaving it. Let's put it this way. You're not leaving it all on the stage, right? You're holding some of it in and then it's seeping out when you finally allowed yourself to relax. Great question. Do you have another question, Miles? Uh, not another question. I would love a, a potential technique for either practicing that or possibly like, what can I do in that, in the moment to like, to really ensure that I'm about to stand up and, and let it all out there, you know? Like what, what can I do even, again, like I find myself in a lot of like networking situations where my like moment to shine is between 30 and 60 seconds, you know? Like this isn't hour long keynote addresses. How can I, how can I prep myself even in like the minute leading up to it or something? Or even like as I'm standing, is there something I can, I can just like, I don't know, is there like a mantra that would help me get my body in the right place? First of all, I'll say two things about that. Great question. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It, through practice is where you'll develop those internal tools to in the moment be able to recognize, oh my gosh, I'm holding my breath. Oh my gosh, I've totally lost connection with my audience and myself. So we're speaking from the head rather than the heart, right? So how do we redirect it back to a heart-centered communication? So I've lost all these things. How do I connect with it? This is all happening. I've only got 10 seconds left to talk. Oh my gosh, okay, how do I get there? So that really comes through practice. That's around creating responsive muscle memory to being present. And so that will definitely come through practice, being able to be responsive to those immediate internal cues. Right. So that's something that will just happen over time. What you can do as you're working toward that are a couple of different things. When you're preparing either a presentation or a pitch, and, and if you're in a networking environment, that's going to be slightly less formal, but you're still going to have a personal pitch, right? You're still going to be able to communicate your value proposition. That's something that you should feel okay about practicing ahead of time and practice it out loud on your feet in dynamic ways and using a myriad of language to express your central ideas. So you're going to be creating now muscle memory around the execution of those specific thoughts. And you're going to be doing it in a way that's not scripted, but it's consistent. So that's the first thing I would say, practice ahead of time. Now, when you are, where did I write all these notes down? My goodness. I don't even know why I wrote them. Um, 
when you are uh, in the moment, so there are two things here. One, I would say, are you anticipating as you're noticing potentially it's your turn to talk? Are you now moving inside and moving into the deep spiral of predetermination? Or are you keeping your focus outside? So that practice that we did, building that muscle memory around our content or execution of thoughts or value proposition, should be with me. I, I need to trust it. It's like cramming for a test. Me trying to remember what I'm going to say and going over it in my head right now, right before I have to speak, is not doing me disturb or is not doing me any service. It's doing me a disservice because it's pulling me out of present and jumbling my thoughts. So the more you can put your attention outside, the more you'll be rather than in your head and getting wrapped up in doing a good job. Now, when you start, I would say start when you're ready. Oftentimes people tend to start ahead of themselves and then they tend to spend the rest of the time catching up, especially if we're looking at a 30 or 45 second personal pitch and someone's like, what do you do? as opposed to jumping in right away. Okay, now's my time, now I'm going to start, this is all it is. And I'm not speaking from a place that is connected to my need to speak, it's connected to my logical idea that now is the time to talk. So it's not connected to something that is gonna allow me to navigate it with a level of authenticity, I'm simply working from intellect. And so making sure that you ground yourself, start when you're ready, it's gonna allow you to connect to the breath and allow your whole body and mind to be working in unison. Um, so that's something else I would say, don't feel like you, if someone says go, that doesn't mean go because you're a grown up and you can take agency. Once it's your time, it's your time. So if you make the time, take the time. And if someone makes a time for you, take it fully. And they're not going to start the timer. And I know you're, um, I know this networking group, so they do have a timer. They're not going to start it until you start talking. So take that moment to prepare yourself so that you can be fully aligned to your message. So your head and your heart are working together. And it's a great point because even, especially virtually, there's pauses, people's microphones aren't working immediately. They have to take the moment to unmute themselves. So like, especially virtually, I, I can understand that no, no, no. You start when you're ready and they will, they will adapt. They will adjust. Absolutely. And don't yeah. be self-indulgent, but right. take the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Excellently answered, Minna. Thank you. You're welcome, Miles. All right. Well, we are out of time. Thank you, Minna, so much for all of your insight and information. Thank you all for joining us. I will make sure to post this in the event uh, invitation thing on LinkedIn, along with the videos and your information, Minna. So if folks want to find you, they can easily find you. I had so much fun. These were great questions, everybody. And Ria, you're, you're a rock star. Oh, thank you, Minna. Thank you for joining us. This is so much good information. I do this, it's like a selfish thing, because I'm like, oh, I get to learn stuff. <laughs>